All right, welcome in to uh, the Bible study, Wednesday Bible study here from the Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, you can always stay caught up with everything that we've been doing here for the last four years. Uh, going to BurgessMinistries.com. If you'll click on Listen, you can actually go back and listen to any of the series that we've done. We don't have the entire four years there, but most of those are there. For the more current studies that we've done over the last year, uh, you can find those on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Some of you may be watching live there now, uh, or you can also um, uh, go to the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. All these things I mentioned to you are free. All you have to do is go and subscribe to the YouTube channel or to the podcast channel, and then you'll get alerts whenever the Bible study is up there every week. Uh, uh, we are now in a brand new study. We're in the third uh, part of that is the Gospel of John, where we're going to walk through the Gospel of John, and we're going to walk through the Gospel of John until we're finished with the Gospel of John. So we may be doing this study for the next year and a half, two years. We don't know. All right, so uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these men who, with their hustle and bustle of their lives, uh, make this a priority. You know, uh, we found, Lord, that everything that we make a priority in our life is something that we actually care about, something we deem of value. So, Lord, I pray you continue to bless these men and those that, that make sure that every week they're, they're watching this or listening to this who can't be with us here in the room. And I pray, Lord, you continue to give us wisdom that comes from you, wisdom that comes from you, not ourselves, that we, we work to find ourselves in your perfect will for our lives because there's no better place to be than in your perfect will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so guys, uh, thanks for being with us. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, we are in the Gospel of John, and today we're going to pick up in verse 40 uh, of, of uh, James chapter 1. Now, if you remember when we left last week, uh, what did I say? J I meant John. We're not going to do James again. Some of y'all asked me, please don't do that again. Uh, some of you are still reeling from the book of James. So we're in John chapter 1. Uh, we're in verse 40 today. When we, when we left, we now know that the John the Baptist has declared, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's, he's told his followers that they should now go follow Jesus. Uh, we ended last week with, uh, with uh, John uh, and also... Um John and Andrew uh, go over and they and, and, and Jesus says, so what are you seeking? And, uh, and they said, where are you staying? So this, this was a great interaction between the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, they, uh, they, they told him with that statement is, we don't desire to have kind of a, an inch deep, mile wide relationship with you. Where are you staying? We want to go spend some time with you. And of course, we took that and we applied that to our lives because I will tell you one of the biggest problems, not just with men, but Sadly, where, where I'm from, the, the problem you find with a lot of people that call themselves Christians is that they seem to be more than willing to stay in an inch deep, mile wide relationship with Jesus. And the only problem with that, if you look at scripture and you realize how wonderful Jesus truly is, I personally believe, because I have this own testimony in my own life, I think it's impossible to truly encounter Jesus Christ and have such, such an apathetic attitude. I think that's impossible. I think that's somebody that's created a version of Jesus that is more cultural and it is not biblical. Uh, because if you've encountered the power of Jesus Christ, He changes you. Amen. I mean, you don't change yourself, but He absolutely changes you. So we have to have the attitude of where are you staying? We want to go where you are and we want to get to know you more intimately. We want to grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Remember with the men that are here in the room and the men that are watching everywhere, th there's no man worth his salt that's ever been satisfied with being mediocre at anything. But it's amazing how many men are satisfied with being mediocre spiritually. 
And, and really, that's the thing that matters the most. And sometimes it's the thing that we spend the least amount of time on. But if, and if we spend any time on it, we become grace abusers, which we talked about for years. And we don't have any desire to have any sort of standard that we think is excellent. You know, like, like we've said in here before, for those of you this time of year that, that struggle with, you know, putting football in the wrong place, football's a great game. It's just a lousy God. But really, if, if, if it's something that means something to you, and we've said this before, would you tolerate mediocrity out of your football team? You know, remember we talked about participation trophies. Men just go on and on about participation trophies, but then they turn around and live their life like they expect Jesus to give them one. <laughs> that they're going to get a participation trophy spiritually. So if, if we demand excellence out of the things of the world that are going to vaporize and go away when this place is refined or when you die, then we probably want to spend the most amount of time and we want to pursue, like they were showing us, we want to pursue the only thing that's going to matter. I mean, if you think of it that way, it really gets pretty simple, doesn't it? So today, we, we're going to take on what, what happens at this point. There's going to be a lot for us to unpack here. So um, let's, uh, let's look at, uh, at verse 40 uh, through 42, and here's what the Bible tells us. We know, if you look back at 39, you know, remember we let, we, last week we left on come and you will see. But after that, it says, so they came and they saw where he was staying. So he did show them. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Now look at 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Now the John he's referring to is what? John the Baptist. He was a follower of John the Baptist. John the Baptist being the great leader said, okay, I've done my part, go follow him. And because he's a good leader, they did. So Andrew is there with him and we know that Andrew is Peter's brother which he, they tell us next, Simon Peter's brother. And in 41, he first found his own brother Simon, who is Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, now let's, let's, let's stop right there for just a minute. Andrew's first reaction to finding Messiah was what? I got to tell my brother. You know, think about that. One of the most beautiful things that I've seen in here recently was one of the men in this Bible study that has come to the conclusion that he has now submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he admitted he spent a lot of his time as a cultural Christian, just kind of playing games like a lot of men do. I hope I've done enough that I don't go to hell, but that's really the only thing I'm really interested in. I hope I've done enough. And over, over time and being in these studies, he's realized that he probably hasn't. So he, he got his relationship right with Christ. And let me tell you what was so beautiful. He gets so excited about this that we sit down and meet in the office. And you know what he wants me to teach him? How do I share my faith? And you know what he thought of? There's a guy that I see all the time. Can you help me t tell him about Jesus? Because if this guy's in my life and this has happened to me, I got to tell somebody. And so this is what you're seeing here on a, on a grand scale is, is, you know, once once Messiah and Andrew says, I, we found Messiah because he spent time with Jesus. He said, I got to tell my brother. So I love this. And we all need to think about this in our life. How many times are you verse 42? And he brought him to Jesus. How, how many how many verse 42s we got in here? I, I mean, how many people have you brought Jesus to or brought them to Jesus? Is there anybody that you can think of that can use your name and say, that's the man, or if you're, you're watching and you're female or you're listening, or that's the woman that brought Jesus to me? Anybody? 
Because that, that, this, is, these, this stuff that makes the Bible is not there just for historical reference. It's always teaching. You know, my wife has a great statement. Nobody teaches like the Lord. Everything that's going on in the Word of God is teaching. So he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means uh, Peter. So if, if you look at this... Um, and you can you can look at either way that was that this is put. Obviously, it was in Aramaic, and then of course it was put into Greek with the New Testament. Both things that they're documented here. What Jesus is using that everybody agrees that for the Greek it's Peter, and of course for the Aramaic it would be it, w it would be Cephas. So so both of these things mean the rock. Okay, and there's been a lot of things said about this incorrectly, but the the fact of the matter is that Jesus is saying, and this is what's what's kind of cool. If you really look at and look at the translations and read some of the commentary, don't forget, you shall be called the rock. I mean, you're not the rock yet. You 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 shall be called the rock. There, there. I, you go ahead and plug into me, and you and I are going to start a relationship today, and one day I'm going to call you the rock. Not today. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. You shall be called the rock. And so the, the, we're going to start a process of discipleship. We're going to start a process of our relationship that the, you, you, you plug into me and I'll make you the rock. And so I, this is one of those moments where we have, to, we have to realize that I don't care what situation that you find yourself in. And don't forget at this point, Peter probably feels like he's pretty devout in his faith. Uh, he's, he's encountering Messiah. He knew he should be looking for that. Uh, and today is the day that this is gonna, this, there's going to be an encounter here. We don't know, was there some sort of explanation that went on? Uh, did, did Andrew spend some time talking about it? But we know that Jesus immediately, when he encounters Peter uh, or Simon, he says, I'm going to change your name and you're going to be Cephas, which means the rock. And, and you're going to be called that going forward and I'm going to make you the rock. I want you to understand, I don't care what situation you're in. I'm sorry if your daddy was no good. I'm sorry if your daddy's abandoned you. I'm sorry that if you have some kind of testimony that nobody's ever taught you how to follow Jesus and you don't have any training whatsoever and you feel like that you can have no impact for the kingdom, you encounter Jesus Christ and he'll turn you into somebody that will impact his kingdom. I promise you. Anybody who's willing to encounter Jesus and say, I want to be where you are, I want to plug into you. I want, I want to seek you and you said I'll find you. I want to experience God in His fullness through Jesus Christ. I don't care where you've been, Jesus will take you somewhere else. And, and this is the thing, just like talking to Peter, I, I, it makes me sick when you see some of this stuff that's being, you know, that's out there sometimes, some of this cultural Christianity where people are interpreting that Jesus meets you where you are as if He leaves you there. Certainly Jesus lowered himself to come to, to come to us when we can't come to him. And certainly Jesus will, will meet you wherever you're willing to repent. But once he, he finds you where you are and you find Jesus, he will not leave you there. Amen. If you're still there, you didn't encounter him because he didn't leave you there. Okay, he didn't leave you there. He said, you shall be this. So then now we move on to Nathaniel, which there, there's, a, there's a lot here. Um, and, and one thing that I want to stay with Andrew one minute before I leave. I'm glad I looked down and saw my notes. I'm loving Andrew's relationship. We will not find, because there's some Andrews in here too. You know, there's a lot of people who want to be Peter, but you don't hear many people say, I'd like to be Andrew. Let me tell you what's cool about Andrew. You know what you find all throughout Scripture? He's always bringing people to Jesus. Always bringing people to Jesus. Now, you don't ever hear a sermon from him. 
He certainly didn't get to write any of the New Testament that we know of. But you know what you find about Peter's brother? Is that his reputation was, I bring people to Jesus. Some of the examples, if you have, write these down. Look at John 6, 8. We're going to get there later. But, and, and I'm going to talk to you about Philip here in a minute. And I don't want to give that away. But, but when Jesus said he's going to feed the 5,000, you'll find out. Well, Philip in a minute said, yeah, you're out of your mind. You know, I mean, we could, work, we could work for eight months. I mean, we could work a year, and we can't even get anybody some bread. What did Andrew do? I found a boy. He's got this fish and this bread. I'm bringing him to Jesus. See, I know Jesus is here. I went and found some food, and I found this little boy, and it says Andrew brought the boy. To, who's he bringing him to? I'm bringing him to Jesus. Jesus, I, I brought you what we got. You know, and, and, and so Andrew had a different attitude about it. I don't know what's going to happen, but you said something about food. I found a little boy with some food. Now, Andrew knows this is not enough food to feed everybody, but he brought him to Jesus. You know, everybody else is like, I don't know what you're talking about. We can't do this. So that's a good one, too. Also, if you have, um, if you have another one, uh, write this down, too. John 12, 2021. John 12, 2021. You know what we're going to be talking about there? Andrew's bringing the Greeks to who? See Jesus. Hey, there's Greeks out here. They don't know you. So, but G Andrew knew one thing. He may not get to write a sermon. He may not get to write a book of the Bible. Let me tell you what he knew, though. I may not can do it, but Jesus can. I, my, if my role may be nothing, but I just bring people to Jesus. You think Andrew's not a hero of the faith? You think he's not a hero of the faith? You know why? I'm always bringing people to Jesus, including his own brother. So we know that when, when, when the, Andrew says we found Messiah, now that, that's correct. In, in Hebrew, that means anointed one. In Greek, it means Christ. And so keep in mind, to the Jews, this is the same thing of saying Son of God. Uh, and you can write these verses down to support that. Uh, that is Matthew 26, 63, 64. Write that down. Mark 14, 61, 62. Luke 22, 67, 70. All these places you will see that when they talk about Messiah, uh, to the Hebrews that means anointed or son of God. To the Greeks it means Christ, also son of God. Uh, so in the Old Testament, the prophets and the priests and the kings, they were anointed and then they'd be set apart for service. And, and so the Hebrews all knew this. And so Messiah was going to be the ultimate anointed, set apart son of God. So that's why they're, they're using this language and they all knew. But here was the problem. And this is where the rub started with Jesus. Some Jewish teachers would, would teach him, as, as, as it should be with Isaiah 53, some of the teachers would teach that Messiah would be a suffering sacrifice. There were some that were teaching that. And that, that was in line. But here was the problem. Others... Others were teaching it in a completely different way. That they, this, they took Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, and they said, oh, no, no, because of that, uh, then, then Messiah is going to be a splendid king. And, and, and how about this? So he, he's going he's to come in, and he's going he's to conquer all of our enemies. He's going to reestablish us. So these two things were going on. And what you find is that what Jesus is trying to explain, and that's where the confusion was, is really both of these teachings are right. But the cross comes before the crown. And he's trying to clarify. Keep in mind, you got people that are hearing two different things. Are we looking for a splendid king? Or are we looking for a suffering sacrifice? And Jesus said both. But y'all have it out of order. I'm going to go to the cross before I get the crown. 
And, and that's the part that, it, that, that is going to be clarified throughout the New Testament. So now we know that, um, that, uh, that, that, that Simon gets his new name. And I told you Aramaic, Cephas means rock, and in Greek, Peter means rock. And so now here's the thing that I like about this. And I want to, this is going to give you a little bit of hope, too. Is that Andrew, Peter, John, and James, who now are all in the mix, we got two groups of brothers right now, even though they're being told by Jesus who they are, even though Andrew is saying, we found Messiah, we can document, which is what this is all about, is that they did not immediately follow Jesus with total commitment. Not here. Here there's an introduction, and yes, they're saying the right things about him. Peter has yet to respond. He's just getting a new name. He's just hearing all this. But the reason why that we know that Andrew, Peter, John, and James, all fishermen, by the way, seven of the original 12 we can document as fishermen, so always keep this in your back pocket when you want to go fishing. I said, well, Dally, fishing was a really big deal to Jesus, and so today I will worship and I will go fish. So, uh, because Jesus seemed to be a really big fan of this. Seven of the twelve, you may know, were fishermen. But anyway, so these four were all fishermen. But here's the part that, I, that as I was studying this hit me. Well, sometime between this episode that we're documenting today and the miracle of the great catch of fish, which we find, write this down, Luke 5, 3 through 11, these men had apparently gone back to their fishing business. Well, why does Jesus have to come out there and tell them to throw the net on? They're back fishing again. So they had this encounter, but them following Jesus, it, it didn't happen instantly. Just as your spiritual maturity will not happen instantly. You, you are instantly redeemed. You are instantly justified. If you, if you have a sincere heart and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and you repent of your sin and you turn to Him, the sincerity of your heart, which only you and God know, when that happens, God says, I have fully justified you, but I've not fully sanctified you. Sanctification, as we've been studying for years in here, now that's a process and it requires some action on our part because these four fishermen said, hey, I think we found Messiah. We're all agreeing on that. Yeah, I think it is. And let me tell you this, and John the Baptist told us to do this. Okay, we met him. I spent some time with him. Uh, what are we doing now? I guess we'll go fish. And they go back to fishing. They go back to their, their normal lives. And then Jesus has to come back and say, hey, guys, we're going to go to a different level with this. And he has to come reveal himself to them again. So remember, the process of total commitment to Christ does not normally or instantly always happen. There's a process of growing, and that's why some of you that, are, that, that thought at one time that you would just say, I think I made a decision for Jesus one day. I think I was pretty sincere. I think I've done what I need to do. And then you kind of say, now I'm going to knock it out of gear. I think, I've done, I think I've done all I need to do. That's a mistake. That's a very dangerous game plan. That's why if you want to see your life be transformed by the power of Jesus completely, that's going to be sanctification. That's going to be growing. That's going to be taking some time. So that that we know. And then, of course, he challenged them again, and he calls them out, and he publicly proclaimed that they would be fishers of men. But that didn't happen here. That's coming later. Right now, it's just kind of getting introduced to Jesus, and they're, they're getting to the point where they believe He is who He says He is. So discipleship or commitment may not happen instantly or even quickly, but here's the beautiful part. Y'all going to love this. Jesus is patient. Amen. Jesus is patient. Boy, I'm glad He's patient. I mean, these guys get us in a lot of trouble in the Garden of Gethsemane. I, that's, uh, we'll get to that. Boy, I tell you, when, when Jesus is trying to make the decision about staying in, in, in with the will of the Father, this was not a good time for them to be sleeping and not wanting to pray with Him. And, 
uh, you really right there go, guys, let's treat him really good right now. He, he's at a crossroads here, and you guys are not, you're not really acting like you're worth dying for. But once again, what? Jesus is always patient. What do you say? The flesh is weak. Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And even in this moment, when he's being abandoned by his friends, he's still being gracious about it. Uh, now, his grace has limits, which sometimes I know we try to push, but, but he certainly is patient with us as long as we're willing to get back on our feet and continue to follow him. All right, so next, let's go to verse 43 now. Verse 43, and we're going to go through 51 talking about some stuff. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, so they're all from the same area. Philip found Nathanael and sounded to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, a lot of the commentary says, how does Philip get all this so fast? You know, because we actually know that Philip at times... You know, like I talked about back at the feeding the 5,000, Andrew did the right thing. Philip kept saying, we can't do this. And we also know that Philip will be documented later in our study of, you know, how many times has Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then what does Philip say? If you just show us the Father. You know, so Philip obviously has got some back and forth going here. But right now, Jesus said, follow me. And then it tells us where he's, where he's from. And then he goes to Nathaniel and begins to tell Nathaniel he's fulfilled the prophecy that Moses has told us about. Well, where does he get that information? Some people, and it's just, it's theory because the Bible doesn't tell us that likely Jesus laid all this out for him while they were walking whatever time period between him meeting Philip and Philip going to Nathaniel, that Jesus probably, as we know in, in, in Scripture, it's been documented at times that he's walked people through prophecy. Let me tell you who I am. I'm going to take you back. Let me, this is what Moses talked about. I did this and I'm this person. And that possibly since Philip is now saying, hey, this is what Moses wrote about. This is the guy that Jesus may have informed him again. Now you've learned this, this, and this. That's me. Because he goes to Nathaniel and, and, he, and he tells him that. So keep in mind, even though Philip gets this right, we still see Philip, like a lot of us, stumbles a little bit at the feeding of the 5,000, stumbles a little bit on, on show us the Father, and, um, which had to be frustrating to Jesus when he's like, how many times have I told you if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Did you just say, show me the Father? <laughs> Boy, he is very patient, isn't he? I think about Jesus when he's about to ascend to heaven. This gets me big time. And in and, and the first part of the book of Acts, and he's done all this stuff. We, I mean, we come, we're back from the dead, okay? I've told you what to do, exactly what we're going to do. And then they go, so is this the time we're going to overthrow the Romans? And he's like, tell me y'all not bringing this up again. All we've been through. And then, of course, Jesus clarifies that at Pentecost. But anyway, so, so anyway, so, so Nathaniel is, is up next. And he said uh, that we found him. And, and so I want you to say when Philip says, son of Joseph, that, that's not doubt. That's, that's not a dig, you know, at all. That was very common. All he's saying is, in the Jewish culture, every son would be called, this is so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. It's just a statement about his earthly father is Joseph. It's not a dig. It's not, hey, you might want to keep in mind his dad, you know, is the carpenter and all that. He's just doing what the Jewish culture would be. If I were to introduce, you know, whatever your dad's name is, I'd say this is Benny, son of whatever your dad's William. name. William, son of William. That was standard. That's not a dig at all. So don't read more into that than is there. So, uh, so anyway, now he's going to encounter Nathaniel, and I love this Nathaniel thing. Uh, so Nathaniel said to him, to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
You, you got to be kidding me with Messiah coming out of Nazareth. Now, I will tell you this. Some of the commentary says that Nathaniel, and you'll hear Jesus confirm this, was just being matter of fact. It, it, they're saying, some of the commentary I read said, this is not even, shouldn't really be seen as him being a skeptic. He's just stating what any of us would state if we knew certain areas that had not really been known. And he said, because in, in, in this, Nazareth did not have, there, there was nothing there for higher learning. Uh, they'd never had any outstanding leadership come out of Nazareth. And, and, and so really, Nathaniel is saying to Philip, now you, you've come here saying this guy that I'm about to meet is Messiah. He's fulfilled the prophecies. And you're trying to make me believe that Messiah has come from the backwoods? Really? I mean, can anything really good come out of this part? And so it's really more of a matter-of-fact statement that anybody who would have heard something come out of Nazareth would have said the same thing. But to show you that he wasn't necessarily a skeptic, he did agree to go see him. So, you know, he really didn't say, you brought Nazareth up, I'm out. I mean, you've got to be out of your mind. Have y'all been drinking? I'm not, I'm not going to meet this guy. He went. So, so look at 47. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, what a statement. I mean, so here, here's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you're about to be introduced to him, and, and he looks at you, and he, you know what he says? He said, here's an Israelite where there's no deceit. Here's a guy with a great reputation. Here's a guy with, that, that's known to be honest, great reputation. And, uh, and, and you know what? I know this guy's character. I mean, that really is what he's saying. He's saying, because Jesus does, is going to show Nathaniel that he knows him already b before they've ever even met, which is a big moment for Nathaniel. But don't forget, Jesus is also saying, now here's a guy that has a great reputation. Wouldn't that be a great thing for Jesus to say about you? And, and so I, I think about, and he talks about deceit, and we'll get into what, why, why he's saying deceit. There's a reason for that. But think about, like, if right now Jesus was standing in this room and you had not met him. And one of us went and said, Jesus, I want you to meet this guy. And we went out and got you and brought you in. What would Jesus say about you? Would Jesus say, now, there's a guy. He's got a great reputation. I know this guy. And, and, and your reputation precedes you. In you, there is no deceit. Now, keep in mind, now this, what this also speaks to, and this is important, very, very important. By the world standard, Nathaniel would have probably been the kind of guy that everybody would have said what? That's a good man. Nathaniel, that's a good man. But guess what? That ain't going to get Nathaniel redeemed. Nathaniel still needs Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is making this clear too. This guy, you probably think, of all people, him, he, him meeting me, is, he doesn't really need me. Because he's devout to the faith. He's got a great reputation. He's honest. He's not, he's not deceitful. But another thing that Jesus is talking about when he says this, about, about the, the deceitfulness, and, and he'll, he'll prove this right at the end of what we're going to do today, is that he's also saying, because of the forefather of the Israelites, of course, is Jacob. And Jacob was what? Deceitful. And what he's saying is, even though this is one of the ancestors of Jacob, he's not like Jacob. 
and then we're going to get to the big part. This guy has no deceit in him. He's not a deceitful Israelite like his father Jacob, which is a, a really deep statement, which we'll unpack before we leave today. Uh, and, and, and he's referring to Jacob. Uh, now, the other thing we want to talk about is what happens next, because this is cool. So Nathaniel says to him, keep in mind, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? I mean, wouldn't that blow your mind if, if you encountered Jesus and you're looking at him going, how do you know me? Keep in mind, Jesus knew everything about Nathaniel, meaning he knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And so what, what, have you ever had that? And I remember this, and I was, this is when I was a terrible, terrible son. And the way that I lived my life when I started turning away from the cultural Christianity that I had, I had believed in as a child, I certainly believed it, but then my life began to show that I did, did not truly believe it in a way that brings salvation because of me living 13 years of, of total sin and debauchery. But I remember thinking about, I certainly didn't have a biblical perspective of honoring my mother and father. But I certainly had enough respect for them because they were a great mother and a great father that I didn't want to embarrass them. But my thought was, as long as they don't know what I'm doing, I'm not really embarrassing them. And then if I'm around people that don't know them, then it's just I mean, what I'm doing doesn't affect anybody but me. But see, what Jesus is informing us right now is I know everything you're doing. How many times have you been doing something that was completely rejection, completely rebellion, and somehow you had convinced yourself, or I convinced myself, that Jesus doesn't know what we're doing? He just has no idea. You know, we think, well, if, 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 if the wife's gone, and the children are gone, and none of my buddies are around, and the pastor, as long as he don't come around, my Sunday school teacher, who's going to know? Jesus is going to know. That's who's going to know. And see, if you want to see your life radically change, and I'm speaking from experience, get to the point that the decisions you make in life don't really affect anything more than Jesus. I mean, I, I've, I've seen people's marriages be transformed because they started out thinking that marriage should be what? I'll be true to you and I'll, I'll, I'll hang on to these vows as long as you stay lovable. As long as you do everything right, then I'll treat you great. But see, that's where, that's where marriages get into trouble. That's where you get these things like we just read in the headlines of 31 years of marriage, and we've got a couple saying well, it's impossible for us to live together as husband and wife anymore. Well, if you get to the point to where you say, no, I'm going to treat my spouse, I'm going to parent my children the way Jesus would want me to do it. See, because I can find all kinds of flaws in, in anybody that I can justify treating them poorly. Because I don't know if y'all have known this. You, I know some of y'all think you're perfect. Do you know you're not? <laughs> and, and you actually do things that people don't like. And you know that sometimes you and I, I know we don't believe this, we become unlovable. But see, that's different. And Sherry and I joke about this all the time, my wife, is we will say, today I love you because I told Jesus I would. Mm. You're not lovable today. You know, what we're going through right now, this is not pleasant, but I'm going to love you because I'm going to love you the way I told Jesus I would. Because I can't find any flaw in him. And he knows everything we're doing right now. So I don't want to blaspheme or embarrass him. 
And so that is the attitude of him looking at Jesus saying, how do you know me? Because Jesus knew everything. And then Jesus, look, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna double down. Jesus then said, before Philip, Jesus answered him. Think about that. Let's just hang on to that statement just a minute. How do you know me? Jesus answered him. Why does Jesus even give us the time of day? You know, he could have said, well, it, that's not important. Just know that I do. Jesus answered him. He said this. He said what? Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And undoubtedly this is big because what does Nathaniel say next in verse 49? Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. And see, he already said what? He, now here's the Israelite. In him there is no deceit. So being the good Israelite, being the devout Hebrew, he knows what to call him. There's the son of God. Behold the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Nathaniel says, I accept you right now on all the teaching I've heard. I, I, I accept that shoe. So what, what's this thing about under the fig tree? What, what, what is all this thing about under the fig tree? Well, to the Jews, the fig tree symbolized the land of promise. And so what he is saying to him is that I looked up and saw you standing under that fig tree as if you're in the promised land. And you're a devout son of Canaan. And I saw you meditating to the Father. I saw you under that fig tree. I, I know that you were over there meditating. You, you've been anticipating me. And I'm here. I saw you under the fig tree. I saw you in the promised land. And see what he's also saying here. Now hang on to this. We're going to get a little deep here. The promised land is actually finally here. That was a flawed situation that we found ourselves in. I'm here to not just deliver you from Egypt. I'm here to deliver you from sin. I'm here to take you to the real promised land. I saw you under the fig tree waiting on me. And I'm here. Being delivered from Egypt is going to look like nothing compared to what we're about to do. And he talks about this. I love the next thing. So then he gets the response. And boy, guys, if y'all if y'all want to love this for a minute, uh, we're, we're, this is what we're going to end on today. And this is this is just I, I didn't know how long we'd land here. So I don't have anything planned after this. So if we leave early, we'll leave early today. But I doubt we will. So here's what he said. <laughs> so Jesus answered to him. This is red letter stuff, guys. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? Meaning, so did you need a sign for you to believe in me? And listen to this. <laughs> Look at this next line. You'll see greater things than these. Hey, me pulling the fig tree thing out, that ain't nothing. <laughs> Let me tell you, you ain't going to believe what you're about to see. You know, and you know, I hate to quote Bachman Turner Overdrive, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. I don't know if they're going to heaven. I hope they are. But, but how about this? But, um, but I mean, I want you to think about that. Think about this statement. Jesus is saying, you believe that quick because I did the fig tree thing? Well, you just wait till I call somebody out of, out of the tomb. You ain't going to believe that. Just wait till blind people start seeing. You're going to see greater things than this. We're just getting started. 
we're just getting started. And and the and the thing that he he is he is telling him too. So look 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 at, the, look at this next statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. For many years, I read this. I'm like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? This is back to Jacob. See, this is Jacob's ladder. Remember, he said in him, there's no deceit. So he knows that, that when Jacob was in trouble, when Jacob got along, when Jacob was out and, and, and that God sent the angels to care for him. And there was a ladder where the angels were coming from heaven and they were going down to Jacob and they were going back. So he knows that they know this. And of course, to really get deep, he was there. OK, so here's what he's saying. This is really exciting. He said, you're going to see heaven opened and the angel of God's, a God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's talk about Son of Man for a minute. Because, you know, Jesus will call himself that he's the Son of God, but he also says he's the Son of Man. And here's what's cool about Jesus and his love for us. Okay? Son of Man speaks both to his deity and his humanity. Remember, Jesus has to be 100% God and 100% man. If not, then we, we don't have the Lamb of God. This is not the sacrifice that we need. And what have I told all of us to caution ourselves about? There's a lot of good people out there that try to behave and do good things and be moral. But when they take the deity of Christ away, that's blasphemy. If they ever remove deity from Christ, that is a, that, that is a false religion. It's not, it's not a slight miss. It's a false religion. And, and sometimes they'll come knocking on your door. And they made a mistake of knocking on our door. <laughs> what a bad day for those people. And it's, you ever just like, you know, sometimes you'll just take a, you know, like if you had a protective dog or protective something or somebody had a bodyguard or something like this. They knocked on our door and I said, ladies and gentlemen, Sherry Burgess. And uh, y'all sit down, have a word with her. I'm going to go get us all some coffee. Y'all going to be here a while. And, and so, so, so one of the things about that is what Sherry revealed to these people. They had taken the first thing that we talked about in the Gospel of John, and they had been teaching. This is how they said John 1. 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. A God. Not God. A God. Now, see, that you may say, well, what's the big deal? Oh, that's huge. That's a big mess now. And Sherry, because they usually have an older person and a young person, she said, hey, young person, come here. I want you to see this Bible. They're lying to you. The Bible says the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He's deity. And of course, the older person started trying to wrap up and get out of there. And I started going, I wanted to shut the door and say, ain't nobody leaving. <laughs> no. You know what I said? I want your address. We're knocking on y'all's door tomorrow. But, uh, but they, they really, and the guy stayed behind and we pr prayed with the guy and talked to him. But the older person was really trying to rush him. But, but, but that, mo that point needed to be made. So he's saying, I, I am, yes, I'm the son of God, but I'm also what? The son of man. And did you know this is what's cool? That Jesus talking about this also refers back to the prophecies of Daniel. Write this down. Daniel 7.13. Daniel, what does he talk about in 7.13? The Son of Man. So write that down. That's important. And that was definitely what setting up. That's a messianic setting calling, here comes the Son of Man. That's, that's Daniel talking about Messiah. But this I didn't know. Did you know that Jesus, that this was his favorite name for himself? I didn't know that. Eighty-three times 
In the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man 83 times. In this book that we're studying right now, we're going to get it 13 times. 13 times, which is really, really cool. So the Son of Man is, is the living link between heaven and earth. You're saying that now what he's showing him? See, he knows about Jacob and the ladder that, that God the Father had the angels coming and going. You know what he's saying? Here's the ladder. I, hey, I'm about to open up heaven for everybody. You're looking at the ultimate ladder between heaven and earth. That's me, Jesus. Hey, you think this is a big deal? I knew about the fig tree. You ain't seen anything yet. The, the heavens are open here is heaven. Here is the earth. Here is sin. Here is my holy father. I'm the ladder. I'm going to be the ladder to take you back into the presence of a holy God. I'm opening heaven up for all who will take this sacrifice. You're looking at the ladder. You ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. You wouldn't believe the stuff that's coming next. And so he also says... That if you look back on Jacob's ladder, that's in Genesis 28, if you want to reference that, by the way. And, and, and so Jesus is God's ladder between heaven and earth. Jesus reminds us often in the Gospels that he came what? What do you keep saying? I came down from heaven. You've heard Jesus say this himself. I, I came down from heaven. So it's saying the Jewish people knew that the Son of Man was a, also a name for their Messiah. Jot this down. We'll talk about it later. You'll see this being referenced in John 12, 34, but you can go ahead and look ahead of that. John 12, 34. So you'll see this discussion between the Jewish people and calling him Son of Man, also another name for Messiah. So here we go as we're getting ready to close out today. We are going to get through a little early, so that's good. So closing out today, we got four days that Jesus has been on the move. Four days, he's got six disciples. Okay, we, we still got more to go. And, and this is the, the cool thing. What this chapter, and this is really good, this chapter we just finished, John 1, chapter 1. The theme of this chapter is the clear message, Jesus of Nazareth is God come in the flesh. So you know what John is trying to tell us? And don't forget, when we talked, told you about the history of the Gospel of John, this is when people were coming back to John saying, tell us more. You know, we, we've seen what the other guys have written about a little more. We want you to tell, tell us more. And what he wants to set the scene as we end chapter 1, and we'll come back and pick up chapter 2 next week, the ultimate message is God is here. Amen. God is here. So Jesus, Jesus and John the Baptist teamed up in that first chapter to be sure that everybody knew that God was here. And so here's, here's the, the takeaway for us today. There's a lot for us to glean from this today. But one of the things that, that we have to, to ask ourselves every time we get together, especially now, is as Jesus stands before you and stands before me, and he says, I'm here. I, I, have, I have fulfilled all righteousness. Remember about the dream I told you I had last week when I was being told over and over again, I don't make people partially righteous. I make people fully righteous. And as time has gone on, I've seen over and over again why God was, was making sure. It's once again, every single one of us, I think, we tend in that flesh side of us, we tend to dial back just a little bit, and we always think I've come far enough. And it would be real easy right now, especially for those of you that have been in here for the last four years, and you've seen, you've made great leaps spiritually, and praise the Lord for that. Be very, very careful for you to get to the point where you think, I'm here. I, I, I've done enough. I, I've come far enough. 
I want you to know that we could never, ever, ever exhaust, remember I was talking about a couple weeks ago, exhaust the grace of Christ. We can never exhaust the power that, that, that is available to us in Christ. I don't care what your situation is. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care what you can't seem to get past. Jesus has overcome it, and he is more powerful than whatever that is. Amen. Amen. He's patient. He's patient. And, 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 and if you have not fully experienced him, it has nothing to do with his inability we talk about. Something's wrong. You haven't taken that step. There's some step you haven't taken. Because what Jesus is saying to you, and this is going to be my takeaway is the last thing we talked about. What Jesus is saying to you, I don't care who you are. I don't care how far along you are in your walk. And this was my takeaway the whole study this week. And I, t I said it to myself because I can give you a testimony. I really can. I don't know all your testimonies. I know some of them. I can give you a testimony that will blow your mind on the power of Jesus Christ. I am unrecognizable from the man I used to be. But you know what Jesus told me this week? You ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. You ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. You think this is all I can do with you? You still alive? You 55? You ain't seen nothing yet. Now, I may be dead after y'all leave, and I may be done. But what, what I know is whatever life is still left for me, it is not to be squandered. It's not to be kicked out of gear. You know, it would be real easy to go, I feel pretty good that I'm going to heaven now. But see, think about that. After what Jesus did to me, that's not much of a response, is it? Jesus, you changed me. Thankful for that. And I'm going to plan on doing the bare minimum for you. I will be apathetic about this. You can count on that for me. But thank you for what you did. I'm not, you guys, I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm trying to say back to Jesus, thank you for salvation. And, and my obedience will be my worship. And when I'm obedient to you, I know you'll take that obedience and you'll radically transform me and you'll continue to move this thing forward. There's things in my life right now that have not turned yet, but they're going to. But they're going to. There's things in my life that are not quite where they need to be, but they're going to be. Because of the power of Jesus Christ. I believe it true when he said, you haven't seen anything yet. You'll see things much greater than this. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is for you. But it's a promise from the King of Kings and from the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this message, and, and thank you for what it's meant to all of us here today. Lord, I just, I just feel a, a sense of worship and excitement just, just talking about this. And I pray, Lord, that you'll take this message and you'll, 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 you'll apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that, I don't know, somebody in here right now, even here, as I sense the, the Holy Spirit, that somebody somewhere today just heard something from you that they needed to hear. There's guys in here of all different ages, and I know there's guys in here that have been through so much. There's guys in here that are going through something. And every time you turn around, you think to yourself, there's, there's something else. But instead of us looking at that as something that's used to demoralize us, let's start looking at that as another opportunity for us to see how great you really are. And I pray, Lord, that you be glorified and continue to transform every life that's willing to submit to your authority. 
And I pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.